When life bumps up against you, you have the choice to pucker up and put on a sour face or mix it up with ingredients like resilience, persistence, and grace into the delectable concoction only you can serve. We are Greer McVeigh and Whitney Wiley, speakers, authors, and entrepreneurs. We're also sisters, and since we were children, we've made a habit of turning challenges into the lessons and launch paths of our lives. Each week, we'll discuss the recipes that will turn your biggest challenges into the building blocks of the successful and fulfilling life of your dreams. On occasion, we'll include experts and thought leaders who'll join the party and you're always invited to. Join us as we share the sweet highs and sour lows and every drop of life in between. Along with our guests, we help you shake and stir your own lemons into lemon drops. Welcome to the Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. I'm Whitney Wiley. And I am Whitney's baby sister, Greer McVeigh. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Why did you have to add that today? Oh, I'm sorry. That we didn't want any references to age or something. I just, <laughs> I thought I'd just throw that in. Just wondering what the relevance is. Why, why today? Because <laughs> I think because I'm feeling old. I sprained my ankle a few days ago, and I've been For hobbling no good around. Reason, right? No good reason. I just, you know, I just. Step the wrong way, sprain my ankles. I've been hobbling around on crutches. Be well, no, there's a good reason. The reason is apparently it's still 2020. Oh. <laughs> this is just the year. So whatever's going to happen is going to, you know, in, in 2021, it'll be wonderful. So we might as well get it all out of our system now. But because I'm hobbling around on crutches, I'm feeling sort of old. I feel like, you know, like, oh my God, I'm breaking down. My body parts don't work as well as they used to. So I needed some to grasp at something. Oh, so okay. that you're older than me, just, you know, it just felt like, like the right thing to say. I'll accept that. As your big sister, your older sister, I will take care of you and allow you to uh, use that crutch this time. <laughs> Thank you. Let's put this old concept behind us. <laughs> Absolutely. So we will um, move into the other part. So it sounds like a little setback for you and uh, nice transition. It, it, well, it is a setback. And I will say, and I just want to sort of tap into one of our previous topics. There were a number of things that I've been doing or trying to do in terms of like establishing some new habits and some positive habits and letting go of some bad habits or replacing, you know, not desirable habits with preferred habits. And this, you know, not, it was a setback, but what it did, because I mean, I can still get around, but it, it sort of gave me permission maybe to do some things like sit down and put my feet up and so not exercise or not eat right. And I don't quite know what eating right has to do with Nothing. sprained ankle. 
nothing. <laughs> it's just an excuse. <laughs> but, you know, but it, it, it started off, it, it sort of launched this sort of cycle of woe is me and I can, you know, I can put my feet up and do nothing. And if my feet are up and I'm sitting down, then I might as well have some, you know, wine or a lemon drop or two and, and you know, and just sort of not eat properly. So I'm going to get back on the, get back on doing this this morning and recognizing that yes it's a setback but setbacks and i know we're going to talk about this but setbacks don't have to redefine everything absolutely right you move past them so i'm ready to move on Uh, absolutely and and that's a good a good thing because we have a guest today who's going to talk about some setbacks that she's had in her life um and particularly in her career and so we're going to talk about that hear her story and then we'll have a conversation about how we actually overcome these setbacks. Uh, so let's start with welcoming our guest, Faizun Kamal. How are you, Faizun? Whitney Greer, it's lovely to meet you, my friends. I am, I am wonderful. How are you guys doing? I am great. I am great. We're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you for joining so, us. Can I, can I just say something to you, my friend? When you said Absolutely. setback. Mm-hmm. A setback is only a setup for a comeback, my friend. That's oh, all that is. So I'm setting myself. So when I sit on my sofa with my feet up and a glass of wine, I'm setting myself up for the comeback. Oh, so I think I should set myself up a lot more often. <laughs> listen, listen, you can you can joke all you want, my friend. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm I'm writing that down. It's a setup, not a setback. It is not, not a, setback. a setback. It's a set setback for Never the comeback. Setback. Yes, set ma'am. Up for the comeback. Okay. So Faisal, why don't you st- share with us how you learned that lesson and, and where did that come from for you? Oh boy. You know, ladies, I think um, it, it is generally true for those of us who are entrepreneurs. And I think it is absolutely true for us generally as human beings to have, to have a sense of positive expectancy. Mm-hmm. Um, Friends and family who know me really well will tell you, Faizun's glass is always half full. That's just the way I live. Um, and I think when we do, it's, it's not that I've never had any hardships in my life. Who has? But to be able to take it in stride, to be able to say, very much like Greer, uh, you know, we ladies, we are meeting each other for the first time. I don't know your stories. You don't know mine. And ho- hopefully we will a little bit. But whatever that thing is in Greer, you know, when you were talking about the sprain, my friend, um, the past month has been incredibly difficult for me health-wise. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, over the last four and a half years since I started my business, all my energies have, I have poured into my work, into my clients. I have a seven-year-old daughter. I have a husband who's an entrepreneur and is never here. He travels all the time. So everything for the business, for the home, for our lives, it's on my shoulders. And, you know, very much Greer, the way you said, um, you were almost waiting for permission. We women, I don't know what it is, my friend, it, it irks me to no end. 
we are always waiting for someone else to give us permission. Pardon my French, mm -hmm. screw that. I am no longer at a point in my life where I need to ask permission yes. for any damn thing. I, I don't, I don't, and neither do you. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for me, the past month, you know, going into the doctors, my, we did blood work and the numbers were trending in the wrong direction. And this Friday, it was, um, you know, I looked at my daughter. She was, it's all online school for her. She's in second grade and she's very animated and very social and she's talking to her friends. And it was in that moment, my friends, I looked at her little space and I said, Faizun, this is not right. When you don't take care of yourself, you're not taking care of the greatest asset that has been placed in your care, your child, because you will not be there. And even if you are there, you will not be there fully. So clean up your act, do what you need to do, get back on the damn horse. And so I say that to you, Greer, to say, Friday, and for me, I've found it's cold turkey, off of carbs, off of sugars, um, 2.5 mile, mile walks every day. I love, I've always loved walking, but it's, it's, it's that, right? So the setback, I looked at it, I was upset about it, I wallowed in it, right? Woe is me, we need to do that, I did that. Mm -hmm. And then I said, all right, Faizun, what is all of this saying to you? Because if you don't walk away with the lesson learned from this, you have lost it all. You've lost it all. And that's why Whitney, my friend, I said to you, I never really look at failures as failures. Right. Either I win or I learn. Absolutely. That's it. That's it, right? So for me, my friends, I say this to you, you know, the age that we are at, I think it becomes incredibly important that we take care of ourselves. If I don't fill my cup up first, how yeah. can I pour you anything from that? Yeah, like so the, anyway, air, I, I like the airplane that. concept of putting on your oxygen mask before you help other people around you. Absolutely. 100%. Uh oh, we had a little glitch. Can you say that again? We had a little audio glitch. Can you say that again? Yes, no. Whitney, I don't know if I answered your question, my friend. Uh, Greer, it's all your fault. You took me off course and made me talk about <laughs> no, no, stuff I, I didn't want to talk about. No, just the last thing you said about said putting absolutely. on your oxygen mask. Do you agree with you? Oh, no, no. Yeah, I, said, absolutely. I said, you are absolutely correct. When the flight attendant says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, put on your oxygen mask before you help anyone around you. How am I going to help you if I don't even have anything in me? Absolutely. True. So true. So my friend, keep that feet up, but then uh, think about your comeback and jump off of that couch as soon as you can. <laughs> so Faizun, tell us a little bit about your history. Um, and you now are into um, franchises. You've written a book that's titled The Right Franchise for You. This is something that you... Um, are passionate about, but before you got to this space, um, what was your story? Wonderful. Um, you know, Whitney, I, I, I'm one of those people. Um, I've always felt that whatever work I did, it would have to be not just professionally fulfilling, but it, had, it also had to be personally meaningful to me. Now, there are many people who say, listen, as long as I make a paycheck, it doesn't matter. And that's fine. It's, it's a personal decision, but that, that was always me. 
And over the last two, two and a half decades, you know, I've moved around the world. I've lived on a couple of continents. I have been in a couple of different industries. Um, my, my career really began in the multilateral banking world. So I used to work with the World Bank for about two years. And then I moved into international development um, and worked with the Swiss and the development agencies. Uh, and this is while I was in Bangladesh, which is where I'm from originally. Did that for a couple of years and um, then moved into the nonprofit arena and finally into corporate America. And it was while I was in corporate America. And by the way, guys, all along, all of these different things that I did, the work in and of itself was good work. It provided so much value to the end recipients, if you will. But I would be lying to you if I ever said, oh my gosh, I loved what I did. I didn't. I didn't. And I was always searching for that something with me. I didn't have a description for what that something was, but I knew that I would recognize it when I finally found it. Right. So I spent all these years on a path that never felt like mine. Um, fast forward corporate America. Um, I joined a tiny company that you guys may have heard of called Verizon. And I was their <laughs> vice president of public policy here in the Washington DC area. And I was with the company for eight years. And you know, it's an American iconic brand. It's known by name. It's a Fortune 50 company. And I had a big title and I did very well financially. I actually did have the, you know, the stuff we hear in, in books and see in the movies. I actually did have the corner office. I had a small team. And on the surface, my friends, anybody who looked at me would say, ah, Faizun, you are living the American dream. The truth of it, however, I was living more like the American nightmare. Uh. And it wasn't because I had a horrible boss or, uh, you know, the work was absolutely crappy. It wasn't any of that. It goes back again to what I just shared with you. That path was not my path. That is not the work I felt I should be doing, that I'd be able to bring my full self to it. And so fast forward, 2015, my boss comes to me. And he says, you know, the company has been having wave after wave of layoffs. And in this particular round, your position got eliminated. I had prepared for this for a while. So psychologically, financially, emotionally, I was ready. And when he, when he, when he said what he said to me, you know, I don't know about you guys. There are a couple of moments in my life that are so visceral. I will never forget them till the day I die. And this was one of them. In that instant, I felt as though the huge boulder that had been sitting on my chest, someone took it and lifted it off and said, Faizun, you can breathe now. And it was a sense of utter and complete relief. Like I had been let go, like, you know, the cage door had been opened and I finally flew out. So that began my journey. Um, didn't realize it, of course, at the time. Uh, but that began my journey where I said to myself, you know, Faizun, take this, take, take this, again, Greer, setback. Many people would say it's a huge setback. My God, Faizun, you have a child, you have a husband, you have a home, you have bills to pay and you got laid off. It was not a setback. It was far from a setback. It was the biggest blessing, well, 
second biggest blessing after my daughter that I have ever had in my adult life, truly, truly. After leaving the company, it didn't take me very long to realize one thing. There were a couple of things that were huge realizations for me, but one thing in particular. And because I had quickly jumped back into a job search and I was interviewing just like everybody else does. And it didn't take too long until it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, Faizun, you are completely nuts. You need to stop looking for happiness where you first lost it. And I said, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I can't go back into the corporate world. Why do I think I'm going to find my path and my happiness there? I never did. And so while that was great, ladies, the bigger question was, okay, Faisal, so what the heck are you going to do now? And I didn't know. I didn't know. And for those of us, you know, who are type A personalities, go, 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 get things done. Letting life be and letting things take its course can be a tad difficult sometimes. That was me. That was me. But I said, no, this is where I need to take the time I need to take and figure out what the next step of my chapter looks like. One thing led to another, guys, uh, is probably the best way I can describe it in, in the interest of time. But one thing led to another. And I found the world of franchises. And, you know, what was there were three things, and you will see that that is actually the subtitle of my book. Escape the nine to five, generate wealth, and very importantly, live life on your terms. And your terms are going to be very different from my terms, from Greer's terms, from everybody else's terms. But whatever those terms may be for you, you owe it to yourself to be able to design a life that allows you to live that way. I believe that. This is my personal belief now as a franchise coach, but certainly several years ago, uh, that was my belief in my, uh, as an individual, as a woman, as a wife, mother, trying to figure out a life that had a little bit more balance in it. Um, found the world of franchises. And I have now had my business for about five years and ladies, it's like night and day like night and day. I realized this is it. This is my calling. This is my calling. I, there's nothing else at all that I want to be doing other than what I'm doing right now. Um, it's an amazing thing, my friends, when you finally find what your glorious purpose is. I call it your glorious purpose and we all have them. But once you find it, you are on fire, baby. No one can stop you. Um, and, and that's, that's really what I try to provide my clients with. And my clients in many instances are just like me. They're corporate executives, they're corporate refugees, they're veterans who've, you know, transitioned into civilian life. They are corporate women, professional women who feel they have hit the glass ceiling. And, but while all of these people are different, the labels are different. The quest is the same. They come to me and they say, Faizun, can you help me find the right franchise business? I've thought about starting a business before. For whatever reason, I never did it, but I'm ready now. And that's what they're looking for. Being oh. able to live life on their terms. Yes, please. That, that's really interesting. I, I'm hoping 
obviously we're going to talk more about franchising and and that world. Um, there's a definition that I'm I'm hoping you can help me with and our audience to help us maybe um, contextualize the rest of this conversation. And the word is entrepreneur or entrepreneurship. Can you define, because you know, and different people have different uh, definitions, but can you define it? And my assumption is that it's more than just being self-employed. You can mm -hmm. have your own business but not necessarily be an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial, or should you be? How do those work together? And is there a mindset or a shift in mindset that a solo practitioner or an independent person should have to be entrepreneurial? Oh, I love that question, Greer. Um, damn, man, you are slamming me with the heavy hit ones now. All right, oh. all right, let me think <laughs> for a moment. Uh, this is no, this is great. So you're absolutely right, because I think there are a lot of people who have some misconceptions about what does it mean to be a franchise owner. Um, so let's take any business, let's take a plumbing business. You mm -hmm. could own shingles, Greer's Plumbing LLC, and call it a day. Okay, great. What are you doing? You are the CEO and the janitor and every position in between for your company, because it's you. This is why you will find that 98% of small business owners are completely exhausted because they're trying to take on every single function and responsibility that the business requires of them. They are creating everything from scratch. Now, contrast that with a franchise with a plumbing franchise. Here's what happens. There's a company, they are a national plumbing brand. You, the potential franchisee goes to them, you look at their business model, you talk to a bunch of their existing franchisees, you understand how their business model works, and then you make the decision that you're going to join the brand as a franchisee. What does that mean? That means when you come into a brand, the brand, if it's a good brand, will hand you their playbook. Because remember, you're paying to be a part of the brand. The brand gives you a playbook and they say, Greer, Whitney, here's the playbook. Follow everything that's in this playbook and it will show you what you need to do to be successful. Now, there are clients I have who'll say, I don't wanna follow a playbook. I've had a boss for many years. I don't wanna have to listen to anyone else. Then a franchise is not the right answer for you. If you do not follow what the franchise asks you to, that is the surest way to failure. I've seen this and I've seen this time and time again. So the biggest difference with a startup business, franchise business ladies is in a franchise, you are not the CEO and the janitor and everyone else in between. The franchise very clearly will say to you before you join, Greer, here are the three to five responsibilities that you are going to take on when you become a franchise owner. Local marketing, business development, um, you know, networking in the local community so people know you're out and about and that you exist, whatever those key things are. Everything else, the brand takes care of for you in the background. If you need your website updated, they will help you with that. 
You are going to do a local marketing campaign where you need materials. They will give you that. This is what you are paying into a franchise for. Is that helpful, Greer? Is that what you are getting at? But are you an entrepreneur? I, I, I'm really, that helps distinguish being a business owner and being a franchisee. Yes. The concept, and maybe it's not really relevant, but the idea, and some people de describe themselves as entrepreneurs. And I yes. think an entrepreneur, in my mind, is someone, one, uh, someone that I know, someone close to me who's an entrepreneur, basically is like, that's a person who solves problems. And they, I mean, they're, they're constantly looking for ways to identify problems, provide solutions, move things forward. And, and so as a, as a franchisee or as a business owner for that matter, is it necessary to be an entrepreneur, to have an entrepreneurial spirit or is it yes. sufficient to just be, I want a, a steady thing and something obviously uh, franchising gives you, like you said, it gives you a playbook. There's a roadmap. We've done this. You know, Mrs. Fields knows how to bake cookies and put them in a mall or, you know, you know, there is a formula and you follow the formula and you will have a certain, I won't say guaranteed success, but certainly a greater uh, likelihood for success. Is Absolutely. that consistent or do you need to be an entrepreneur for that? Or do you not necessarily have to have that mindset? Absolutely. I, I got it now. I got what you're trying to ask me. I, I describe it this way. If you are by nature, a Mark Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. what did he do? He came in, he created a company, created an entirely new market and services within that market. He, his say-so is the final say-so in his company. It's his company. Mm -hmm. If that is you, where you want to come in and say, no, 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 I want to set everything up. All my systems and processes, I'm going to set up. I want to have the final say-so in how I grow my business. A franchise is probably not a good option for you. Okay. A franchise is a marriage of two things. You must be entrepreneurial because yes, of course they give you a playbook, but if you take the playbook and sit with it at home, ain't nothing happening, baby, right? You still okay. have to go out and do the things you need to do. You must be entrepreneurial, but at the same time, you have to be able to have the wherewithal to follow a system. If you're a Mark Zuckerberg, you don't want to follow a system because you want to create your own system. A franchisee needs to be able to do both. Okay. Does and that I, make sense? Yeah, yeah. And your husband, you mentioned that your husband was an entrepreneur. So that is what sort of triggered it. And then you, because you're, what you do is coaching franchise, franchisers, right? So, so you're- Coaching will become franchisees. A franchisee is a person in a franchise. A franchisee, brand. exactly. You got it, but, you got but, it. But you are not, your business is not a franchise. You're, you're right. more entrepreneurial, right? You are like, right. here's this niche market. I'm going to, you know, I, because this is a thing that I do, I'm going to take this uh, 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 segment of the, of the business world and I'm going to provide a service to them that helps them be successful in their becoming franchisees. 
which is an interesting thing that you're the entrepreneur, not a franchisee, but you're not a franchise, but you're, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, my friend. Most people actually never even understand the distinction. I'm really, I'm really surprised that you picked up on that. I know myself well enough to know I am like the Mark Zuckerberg. I like to go create my own stuff. I knew there was, there was a little part in me that said, hmm, Paizun, do you think you're going to be successful in a franchise? I didn't know. So I said, ah, mm -hmm. let me take a step back. So absolutely, this is the distinction that I would, I would make. Um, and in fact, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons that my clients choose franchises is because it significantly reduces the risk of failure. It doesn't mm -hmm. guarantee that you are going to be successful and make oodles and oodles of money. Because at the end of the day, it's still you. You have to be able to work the system. You have to be able to have whatever those skill sets are that the business requires. But yes, you are 10 steps ahead of someone else who's starting that business from scratch because you now have a playbook. Yeah, okay. Love that, love that. <laughs> and and so did you start, when you left your corporate job, did you become a franchisee and learn from that and then you shifted to this entrepreneurial pursuit no, no okay no so this is actually my second business i started my first business um this was uh, a couple of years before i started at uh, started in corporate america and it's a completely different business but, but again it was th this is the part of uh the business world that really gets me juiced up um, creating partnerships, figuring out connections, connecting the dots. So the business I had in my first iteration is very different. Um, I ended up working with the Tory Birch Foundation with the designer Tory Birch. And the company, the first company I started was essentially setting up markets between the United States and Bangladesh. Uh, and the organization was back in Bangladesh and it was comprised of women who were handloom weavers. And if you know anything at all about a handloom, it's this very old uh, technique of weaving clothes. We actually and they make the most mother, Do you? Our mother. Oh my gosh. Is, yes, and she's had a loom of it for as long as I can remember, several. And she's still. Oh, oh wow. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So that I never expected a, anybody to say to me. She <laughs> had a loom room. So growing up, because she, she has several looms, but she has one that is as big, it, you know, requires as much space as a room. It certainly is bigger than a, wow. a king, king size bed, right? Yeah. So it takes up yeah. and then it's tall, it's taller than me. I'm six feet tall. It's taller Ooh. than me and it's as big as a, as a king size bed. So uh, yeah, wow. we are familiar, but anyway, we digress. <laughs> you, you know, you don't digress at all. So, you know, you know, the amazing level of skill that takes. If you put a gun mm -hmm. to my head and say, Faizun, I'm going to take away your child. If you don't weave something on the loom, I wouldn't be able to, that stuff is unreal to me, the way they do it. And so mm -hmm. essentially, um, these were women who, you know, again, it's a third world country. They are providing for their family. In many cases, they're the sole providers. They don't have a husband in the scenario. Um, and they never got paid fairly for the clothes, for the fabrics that they produced. So the program was to be able to bring women in 
pay them a fair wage, and then create a market for their goods here in the United States. And um, proceeds from the sales of the goods would go back into supplementing their livelihoods, right? So it would be this circle. Sort of um, like fair trade coffee, that same it, kind it, of concept. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. it was a social enterprise. It was absolutely a social enterprise. And, um, you know, I had a blast. I knew nothing about the fashion industry other than that I loved fashion. Uh, but it was that driving force, right? I wanted to be able to do something that was bigger than me, to be of value, to be of service to someone or something other than me. Um, so that was my first foray into the world of entrepreneurship. And once I got that taste, ladies, I didn't want to let it go. I said, I am having a bloody blast. This is not something else. And so then that's what got me into this world. I think for me, it goes back to that third thing I mentioned, which is living life on your terms. You know, I had spent so many years doing things that didn't give me joy. I did it because I fill in the blank, pay the bills, you know, pay the mortgage, um, support the family, what have you, for reasons that were far too practical and not at all holistic or wholesome to my soul. And so for me, you know, again, after corporate America, you know, in terms of realizations, I will say there were a couple of things that um, I wish I had realized earlier, but I guess that's how life works. Um, the first was that you will always be your best investment, bar none, bar none. If you don't invest in yourself, why are you going to expect that anybody else will? So that was the first thing for me. Um, the second thing, be prepared to say yes before you're ready. I wasn't ready far from it, right? I had all these thoughts in my head. Oh, I needed to, you know, I have to still pay bills. I have to do this. You know, the, my daughter is now only 17 months old. She needs health insurance, right? All the real into our head and help us to say no to something. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I have, I, I have enough confidence in myself that I can figure things out, even if I don't know what what the entire picture looks like. I think it was Martin Luther King, right? Who said, it doesn't matter. You don't have to see the whole damn staircase. Just take the first step and then take the next one and then take the next one, right? Um, so that was the second thing. And very importantly, uh, be open to whatever comes. Goes back again with me to that first thing I said when we started, having an attitude of positive expectancy. I've always been this way. You know, ever since I fell out of my mother's tummy, this is kind of me. Um, I, I, something is a problem because I haven't yet figured out a solution. That's my orientation. Um, and there is never a failure because even as you figure out, even as you are dealing with whatever it is, society, there are things you are learning about yourself that are invaluable. And even when that same failure, same situation comes back again a second time, you're going to be better prepared this time. I'm over here writing down. I'm feverishly writing. Oh my God. I'm writing I'm down curious. what you're saying. You know, one of, 
were you going to say something, Whitney? I was. I was going to. I was okay, just going to ask, sort of along the same same line that you started down initially, Greer. So you've become a coach to franchisees or pre-franchisees, people who are contemplating whether or not to move into this to this field, and you have not. Um, you, you had a business before, but it wasn't a franchise business and you've not run a franchise business. How did you come to a place where that this is what you decided if you're not sort of a franchisee refugee? And I'll take your, your phrase from being a corporate refugee. <laughs> I um, love that. If you're not a franchise refugee, how did, how did you come to this space and um, decide to niche here? It's interesting, Whitney, um, unbeknownst to me, I actually started doing something that I now do that is actually the first step in my process with my clients now. And that is, um, once I made the decision, I wasn't going back into corporate, then came, well, what is it going to be? And Faizun, this next thing, how do you know that that is really what you're supposed to be doing? Because you don't. So I literally, for the first time ever, Whitney, I, I did an inventory of myself. So who's Faizun? What are her superpowers? What are those things that when she does them, she's in flow? What are those things that her friends and family, people who know her best will say, oh my gosh, she is a ninja at this, right? To try and figure out what, what do my superpowers look like? Conversely, what are Faizun's blind spots? What are those things that I would rather pay, I would rather get my tooth pulled out without lidocaine than do those things? Because we all have them, right? We, we like to pretend we don't, but we do. We all do. We all do. What are those things? Because no, I don't want to, I don't want to have to, you know, push up against something that I don't enjoy doing, that irritates me, that drains me, that puts me in a horrible mood. I don't want to do them if I don't have to. Let me at least get clear about those things. Superpowers, blind spots. Okay. That exercise in and of itself, Whitney, and I had never done that. N not, not, so, not so very intentionally ever right. that way. And as I did, and I, I know, by the way, <laughs> I actually started exploring franchises, like as in buying a franchise for myself. It was in that process that the franchise coach that I was working with, I realized, oh my gosh, what she is doing with me as a client is exactly what I am gonna be a killer at doing. Do you know why I knew that? But I knew that instantly. Do you understand? It was this weird yeah. thing that happened, right? And I said, oh my God. And I said, uh -uh, I don't want to buy a franchise. This is what I want to do. This is did, going to become my- Did you steal all her business? Was, <laughs> was it that she was, was she good at it? Was it like, wow, she's really amazing. And I want to offer that same level of amazingness to my own clients? Or was it like, you know, I could do this better than you. <laughs> The fact that she didn't sell you on a franchise, you know, it's like, it's, and maybe that wasn't her job. It's to help you figure out what's best for you. I had never worked with someone like that, ever. 
Okay. I had never had a coach in my entire career. Never. I've never had a coach. Um, the questions she asked me, the way in which she, the, the, the exercises she gave me, the way it made me think about myself was something that I had never done before. And in the process of exploring buying a franchise for myself and my family, I found my calling. And I said, okay, well, so this is what I now want to do. Um, not to get, you know, not to bore you guys with gory details. It's a complicated industry in that there are people like me who do what I do, but I'm not a franchise. There are also people like me in this industry who do what I do, but their company, they're part of a franchise. Right. Okay. What I realized, and this is why I decided not to go with a franchise to basically do franchise consulting. Knowing the industry now the way I do, when, when, I, when you come to me as a client and say, Faizun, can you help me find the right franchise? And by the way, I'm a franchisee myself. It sets up, it sets up disincentives that don't work in the favor of the client. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a franchisee, I have to pay royalties to my brand, right? Yeah. The incentives are not aligned, they're misaligned. And my friend, one of the things I tell you, my father, my father would always say this to my sister and I growing up, and he still substitute clean living. I realized the significance of that over and over and over in my life. And I want to run a business that is clean, that is streamlined, that is simple. I want to be able to get up in the morning, look at myself in the bathroom mirror and feel like a million bucks because I know why I did the right thing for my clients. So anyway, I say that to you to say, these were some of the reasons why I ended up not going with a franchise company to do the work that I now do. Okay. I like that. Um, Greer, you had a question. Um, no, no, not so much a question. I just, it's, it's interesting the the use of some, some of the language that you're using. These are some of the words that we're starting to hear more and more about like finding your mm -hmm. joy. Or, you know, um, I think you, you said uh, finding things that bring you joy or, you know, what are your superpowers? And I think more and more people, we're, we're breaking, which is, you know, it's a great thing. That's part of what you're trying to do is to help people break that mold of just doing what you're supposed to do, right? It's, yeah. it's like yes. you get it, you go to school, you get a you know, a degree in a particular thing, or you have an interest or you join a family business or whatever. And then you just take these steps and then you find yourself in a, you know, sometimes almost backed into a career that wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. what you would design for yourself. It's just sort of what you stumbled exactly. into. Sometimes it works out, you know, great. I mean, I stumbled into communications. And that's, you know, and it mm. so happens that that works well for me. But other people stumble into things for a whole lot of reasons. You know, your father and grandfather were both doctors, so you should be a doctor. And then you 
become a doctor and you're like, God, I hate doing this or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, you know, so this, this notion of learning about yourself, taking the time to do the inventory, like you said, you did the personal inventory and what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses, whether it's through a formal, uh, assessment or program or counseling yes. or something, or if it's just taking the time to sit down and meditate and think and give yourself the space to understand who you are, I, I think that is really the key and more people are tapping into that. And I just, you know, if you wanna talk a little bit more about that, I, I mean, I just think that that's a, the, the wave of the future. I think we'll have more happy, productive people it's, I mean, my gosh, Greer, you, you bring up so many, many things that are so deeply personal to me that they were in my journey. Uh, these were the triggers. Um, for so many years, I felt misplaced on the, the inside. Something deep, I, I, I knew that something deep and meaningful was missing. Didn't quite know how to articulate beyond that, but knew that, knew that like anything. Um, I always felt I had more to give, that I was being stymied, that I was being restricted in some way, that I knew when I found that thing, whatever that thing was, was for me, mm -hmm. when I found it, I would burst my boundaries. You know, yesterday, um, don't want to go down the political road, don't know which side of the political fence you ladies are on. Yes, wear be. your heels, ladies, wear your heels, because there's a lot of broken glass on the floor, my friends, right? Yeah. Shattering those ceilings. And I don't just mean in a political context. Yeah. Right? I'll, I'll share this little aside with you. My daughter, she's seven years old. She's half black. She's half Asian. Very much like Madam Vice President. We were watching the news and she said, Mama, isn't that the lady who's going to be with President Biden? I said, yeah, she's going to be his vice president. He's the president. She's going to be the vice president. And you know what? You're like her. She looked at me. She said, really? How? I said, you're half black. You're half Asian. You're super smart. And you are kind to everyone. My little child's face just beamed ladies, right? That is what I want every little girl and boy to feel. And I don't just mean from a political stance, from a human, from a life stance. One of the things you know, I've always said, this makes me tear up. You know, when we were kids, our parents would say, and you know, nobody loves us like our parents, but they would still say, Whitney Greer, color inside the lines, baby. You know, you're coloring your picture and it's going outside the lines. I never say that to my daughter because throughout my entire career, I have always colored outside the lines. I have always been in the minority. Going into corporate America, I was the only one that looked like me, that had a name like me, that had an accent like me in a department of more than 250 people. So when I got up to give a presentation, you best believe all the eyes were on me. If my white counterpart spent 10 hours, guess how many I spent? 50. Because that is just the way the world is. And I was okay with that. But my point, ladies, is don't wait for permission. 
No one is going to give you permission. You want to do something, get out there and get it done. Do it. Will you succeed? I don't know. You might, but at least you've tried. You know, our parents were probably a little different than most in that I mean, certainly what we heard, and maybe a lot of people in our generation, was it's particularly for girls. And we grew up in Berkeley, California, so that might make some of the A little difference. bit different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were told you can be anything you want to be, right? You, you know, there were no limitations. You can be anything you want to be. The challenge was, and this sort of goes to, to the story you just told about your daughter, is it's hard to know what you want to be when you don't see it, when no one else around you has done it. There's no um, roadmap or template or blueprint for how to get there. And yeah, so for, for so many people, I mean, for me, when I was a little girl, the first job I wanted was to be a bus driver because we rode the school bus to school, you know, along with Kamala Harris in Berkeley, California. We were, yeah. you know, to Joe Biden, we were that, you know, I'm that little girl. We were on the school bus, but it was like, wow, when I grew up, I want to be a bus driver. And then I wanted to be a school teacher. And then as my world got a little bigger, but really all I saw were doctors, lawyers, teachers, bus driver, you know, police officer, firefighter. Now, I mean, the kids are growing up with, you know, uh, uh, programmer and, and, you know, all, all these you know, engineering kinds of things. So they're seeing something different. Certainly uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris represents something and, and she represents something to girls and hopefully boys as well, that just because you don't see it doesn't mean you can't be it. Right. And I think That's part of right. what you're doing in the franchise world is helping people because with a franchise, it has been done. So that gives you, like you said, it gives you a, 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 a stepping stone. It gives you a blueprint. But what it also does, and you haven't really talked about this, and maybe you can, it also is a launching pad for some other things. I know some people who have who are franchisees but they own multiple, right? They may own uh, 20. I knew someone who once, I don't know where he is today, but at the time that he and I were, were closely associated, he owned seven McDonald's franchises, which is you know, probably you know, pretty significant. And, but once you do that and you make that kind of money and you have that kind of uh, position in your community, that opens the door if you're an entrepreneur, if you're really entrepreneurial minded to do some other kinds of things. I mean, my friends, it's, uh, I'm the only Asian woman I know doing the work I do. Almost every other colleague is a white guy. There mm. are a handful of black people. There are white women, but there's no one I know that looks like me doing the work I do representation matters. It matters greatly. And I cannot tell you how many clients of color I have put into franchises. Their biggest reason didn't come out first. Couple conversations down the road, they would say, Faizun, talking to you makes me realize, makes me believe I too can become a franchise owner. 
I don't see a lot of people from my community who own franchises. Of course you don't. Of course you don't, right? So to be able to do that, that is significant. Um, oh my gosh, how many, how much time do we have ladies? Because we could talk about this <laughs> endlessly, endlessly, but yes, it's a platform. You know, one of the things that I think it makes me angry is there are so many women, they start businesses and those businesses never make it beyond being a hobby financially. It is not a business that they can survive on. It does not give them a livable income. So I have these conversations every now and then where I'll say, ladies and gentlemen, a franchise is not a multi-level marketing. This is not what this is. It's incredibly different. This is, this is a system that allows you to build six-figure businesses and many, many times seven-figure businesses. We need more people who look like us to be able to be leaders with businesses that are making big significant impacts in the communities that, it, that, that, they, are, that they are operating in. That is part of, again, never thought I was gonna talk about this, but yes, that is part of my mission. That is part of my mission. I want more women to come into franchising and be franchise owners. I want more women of color. I want more people of color. I want people to understand, no, you don't have to lead a life of quiet desperation in your job that has been sucking your soul and killing your joy for decades. No, there is an option out there. Is it the right option for you? I don't know. You will have to explore, but there is an option out there. I love that. And you and I are certainly on the same wavelength on that point. Um, I, I'm going to step back from the franchisee in franchise discussion for a second. And I, I think actually I would love to have you back. And I'm going to speak for Greer. <laughs> Maybe she'll disagree with me, but I don't think so. I would love to have you come back and, and actually have a conversation uh, specifically about franchises and opportunities and how people can look into that. But I want to get back to, um, you know, where we started the discussion and your journey, talking about setbacks and failures and moving beyond that. And what I want, you said something earlier that I, I wrote this question down about what some steps would be that reduce the chance of failure. And you said it in the context of owning a franchise, right? That, that, that playbook that the franchisor provides helps to reduce the chance of failure in business. How do you apply or how can one apply lessons other people learn to their lives to reduce the chance of failure? Mm. Wow. I think for anyone, and again, I'm, I'm just because it's such a huge topic, Whitney, I'll whittle it down a little bit and say in the context of careers, if someone is thinking about, about making a career pivot, they, are, they want to change their career trajectory. It doesn't have to be a franchise. It doesn't have to be business ownership, but it's a change that they're trying to make. I think first, get a sense, get a, you know, know thyself. There's a reason why that has been around since the beginning of time. Who are you? What makes you tick? 
What makes you happy? What makes you grumpy? Stay away from those things, right? As my seven-year-old would say, mama, you look a little grumpy today, um, right? What are those things? Really, let's drill down to the, to, the, to the fundamentals. You know, the second thing, Whitney, you didn't say this quite in, in the way that I'm thinking. Ultimately, the biggest thing that holds every single one of us back, whatever that thing is that we are, we are moving towards, is fear. It's yeah. fear. Um, I am not that wise. Maya Angelou said, hope and fear cannot coexist. You have to pick one, right? I mean, my God, what did we see happen this past week? You, you have to choose one. You want to choose hope or you want to choose fear. And the country collectively said, fuck fear. We choose hope, yeah. right? Hope and fear cannot coexist. And so for my clients, the biggest way to reduce their fears is, you know, when you begin this process with me, and again, I'm veering into franchise ownership to give you a real example. As part of the due diligence that you do to understand what business is right for you, you are to existing current franchise owners of the brands that I have introduced you to. As your franchise coach, I know a little bit about a lot of different brands. When I introduce you to the brands, you are going to be speaking with the brand rep who's going to take you through the process. And they know a lot about the brand. But who really knows what it is like to run that business day in and day out other than the franchise owners themselves. This I call the heart of the process. This is where you will speak as a, as a client, you will speak to a franchise owner and ask them any and every question. In the first 12 months of business, can you share some things that were completely unexpected that you could not have planned for? Can you share with me when you broke even on your investment? When did you get to profitability? When you first began, how many hours a week did you work? Was it just you? Did you have a team of people with you? Very granular questions, my friends. I, I look at it this way. Do you remember back in the day when we would buy, like not bonds, when we would buy stocks, they would, they would send uh, to you in the mail a prospectus? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. In franchising, there's something very similar. We just call it by a different name. It's called a franchise disclosure document, the FDD. It's a, it's a several hundred, typically two, 300 pages thick. It's a legal document. And in order for a brand to legally sell franchises in the United States, they must have an FDD that has to be updated every 12 months. Now, in the FDD, there are 23 separate sections. And each section deals with one aspect of the brand that you, the potential investor, you, the potential franchisee, needs to learn about. Do you know of any other investments you can make in the market that allows you this kind of peeking under the veil? I don't. This is yet another tool in the toolbox, right? One of the reasons I love this industry, it's transparent. I say to my clients, I don't know if you're going to buy a franchise. We've just started this process together. But here's what I do want you to do. As your coach, I want you to walk into it with your eyes wide open. You must know what it is you're walking into. 
you should never be in a position where you're having to make a decision based on half-assed information. That is not the way we're going to deal here. Does that answer the question, Whitney? Oh, absolutely. And, and basically, it is, you know, it, using the analogy of the, the franchise and the playbook is to pay attention to what people who are succeeding, what they're doing, right? You, yes. Use that as a playbook and you, you probably have to make some adjustments, but use what other people have done as a playbook. So, yes, yes. I, I have two questions. Um, one, and well, I had another question, but what you said made me think of this. Would it, and this is maybe cheating, but is it beneficial? Would it be beneficial for people to just get a hold of an FDD for their own personal life, for their own entrepreneurial pursuit? Just to, I, I understand that one would, that they're all unique and that they're specific to an organization. Right. But it would seem that whatever those 23 categories of things, if you could map those things out for your own business, and I've never seen one, so I don't know. But is that a is that something if people could just get their hands on it as a template for various things that they're doing in their own lives to help them map out so I'll what you, success might look like? I'll do you one better, Greer. Uh, for your listeners. If anybody wants to reach out, I will send them a complimentary copy of my book. One of the chapters of the book goes through the 23 sections of the FDD. Okay. Uh, it gives them a sense of when you're reading this huge legal tome, what are you looking out for? Why is it relevant to you? Uh, the other piece is an FDD is not publicly available. When mm -hmm. I introduce you to brands, the brands, has they, they have to release the FDD to you, the client. That okay. is part of the legal process. Uh, so it's not, it's not something it's not that- It's not as easy as getting a Google. Out. It's not like their annual report. It's not that accessible. No, okay. it's not their annual report. That's a great analogy. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So let's so like, ask this last oh. question, um, going back to our topic. Because <laughs> we've had a great conversation. And again, I would love for you to come back. I love it. And I let's just have a, fran a full-on franchise conversation. Um, but, you know, getting back to our topic. So, you know, I, the last question was about how do you reduce the chance of failure? And we talked about, look, look at what other people are doing, model what other people are doing, get a playbook. Um, and you've addressed this partially, but if you fail, and I agree with you, there really is no failure, right? It's an opportunity to learn um, or, or succeed. But if you fail or you do something that you feel in a moment as if you have failed, how do you move beyond that? What are some concrete steps that we can leave our audience with that puts them on the path to the comeback? You know how we've heard the saying, change is the only constant? Mm -hmm. Let mm -hmm. me add a part two and say no change is permanent. If you are, you wake up in the morning and you feel dejected, you know, you got a sprain. And so you want to sit on the sofa, you know, with your candies and your cookie. Uh, I don't know why Greer is laughing, but, you know, I just used that example. Um, it's, you know, I think, here's the thing, ladies, I think it's important 
certainly when I was laid off. I don't, I don't want to make it sound as though it was so easy for me. It wasn't. There was a period I went through and I call it my dark night of the soul where even though I had gotten laid off through no fault of my own, it wasn't like I did something completely egregious and they kicked me out. It wasn't that. The company was downsizing. Nevertheless, there was psychologically, there was this, there's a sense of shame. Yeah. I'm an adult. I have a baby. I am married. I, you know, I live in one of the most expensive parts of the country. I have a big bloody mortgage payment to make every month. Oh my God, what the heck am I going to do? Right? It's the normal life stuff. It wasn't until I took a step back. And this is what I mean. Self-talk is incredibly important. And we spend 99% of the time talking really poorly and badly and negatively to ourselves, particularly women, particularly women. Um, it was taking a step back. It was saying, Faizun, you will always be your best investment. You know yourself well. So yeah, you're gonna say yes. You sense that this could be a huge opportunity. You don't have all the pieces laid out, but you have enough confidence in yourself. Say yes, you'll figure the rest out. That's always been my, now it doesn't work for everyone. It's always what's worked for me. I have a very good girlfriend. She says it the best. She says, oh yeah, my buddy here. She's the kind of gal, she's gonna jump into the swimming pool. When the water hits her ass, she's gonna look around and say, oh, I better learn how to swim now. It's, it's true, but it's not entirely true because at the end of the day, I have responsibilities. I have people who are, I have a child who's looking at me. I can't be that reckless, but I think it's being, it's being strategic. It's taking strategic risks. Going back again, Whitney, to the fear piece, hope and fear. At some point you have to make the choice. Yeah. I feel fearful, but I'm going to move ahead in spite of. Yes. Yes. At any point in time, you can stop. I say this to my clients. If you think of my relationship with my client, I say, think of us driving in a car down the middle of the highway. Who's driving the car? It's not me. It's you. This is your life. This is your business. You are in the driver's seat. I am in the passenger seat beside you. We are driving down the highway. And all of a sudden, I see the car start to veer a little bit towards the guardrails. And I look over and I see that Whitney is starting to doze off at the wheels. I say, Whitney, Whitney, wake up. We're going to hit the, we're going to hit the guardrails. And you wake up, you straighten the steering wheel. That is what I do. That is my job. I never give you answers. I point you to where I think you might be able to find the answers. That's what I do. Right. But to know that I am your partner in this process, I will hold your hand every step of the way together. We will figure out how you can stop making a living and start designing a life. I love that. If you allow yourself to do that. Thank you so much for that. Greer, you have any final thoughts as we wrap this up? Um, the, my, my final question I was gonna ask earlier, um, but it's never too late. So I, I just wanna make sure that I'm clear and that our audience is clear. What is the mission of your business, what's the name of your business, but what is the mission of your business? It sounds to me like it isn't necessarily to get people into a franchise. If that's not what's ideal for them, you direct them in some other way, or you only work with people once they've gotten to a point that they definitely want a franchise. What is, 
what is it that you do with your business? That's a fantastic question. So not at all, Greer. I, okay. <laughs> I'm a two-trick pony. So I do two things, but for our purposes, I only mentioned the one thing. So of course, I work with clients who are looking to find the right franchise opportunity for themselves. And we do this through this process that I have that I will take them through to help them find that right business. The second group of clients are business owners. And these are people who come to me and say, I am constrained by time. I'm constrained by money, but I want to grow my business. And I'm thinking that the best way for me to do so is to turn my existing business into a national franchise brand. Mm, okay. That's the second group of clients I work with. So you work on both um, sides of the equation. Okay. On both sides. Of the, exactly. Exactly right. Um, the, I will tell you the people, the clients in that first bucket, not all of them know. In fact, most of them, when they come to me, they're exploring, they're in that exploratory stage to say, hey, I know nothing at all about franchises, but I'm intrigued. Um, I wanna learn more. And you know, I, it's, 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 it's typically the same conversation where they will say, you know, half apologetically, I hope I'm not gonna be wasting your time. You know, like, are you gonna be pissed with me if I work with you for a couple of weeks and then find out that I'm not gonna do this? And I say, no. No, this is, this is part of the exploration process. We go through that because it is sometimes knowing that something is not the right thing for you can be more important than knowing what the right thing is for you. And so as we go through the process, you come to a stage where you say, oh my gosh, Faizun, I, you know, for these reasons, I don't think a franchise is right for me. That's okay. We will part as friends. I promise I won't, you know, I won't track you down and try to try do something to you. This is how this works. So that's a great question. So no, most people, Greer, who come to me, they don't know what they want to do. Okay. Interest, but that's about all that they know. What's the name of your business? Gria, you, you cut out my friend. What is the name of your business? Ah, the Franchise Pros. The Franchise Pros, okay. And you work with clients nationally, globally, wherever they are, correct? Uh, mostly nationally. Um, okay. I do have some international clients. Uh, we don't, most franchises typically will not go everywhere. Um, you know, India, Brazil, China, um, South Africa are some good examples of brands that are expanding out. Uh, but typically, it's clients um, clients across the United States. Okay, thank you. That's all. This has been an amazing conversation. You're such a you're such yes. a delight and so funny and witty. Um, I've learned a lot, and I just I thank you for your time. Absolutely. And so Faison, this is the delight. We're going to put your um, contact information in the show notes and you have made available to um, a listener. So we will have some sort of a contest to make available to uh, one of our listeners a copy of your book. 
Um, and so we want to yep. thank you for that, the, the right yep. franchise for you. So if uh, we'll have to figure out how to have that contest, but we'll, we'll come up with something and <laughs> that available and, and we'll provide a link. So if anyone wants to get a copy, um, without winning the copy, they can certainly avail themselves of that opportunity. So we want to thank you so much for um, visiting with us. Again, would love to have you come back and, and talk about franchises and, and more of your process and how you help people. Um, you know, thank you for sharing your story, talking about you know, moving from place of setback and failures and some of the steps that um, you have gone through and that our listeners can go through as they move beyond and overcome some of the challenges in their lives. So thank you again for coming and um, talking with us. Absolutely. I felt like I was talking to two friends that I hadn't seen in a long, long time. Thank you so much. This was absolutely delightful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us for Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. If you like our show, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Your questions, comments, and feedback are welcome. You can find out more about us at lifelemonslemondrops.com. 